I just thank the Lord for the way he meets us and he touches us and he helps us. I want you to pray with me. I want us to believe God for just a few moments this morning that we would have a revelation of the Holy Spirit, that he would give us a revelation of Jesus. How many? Oh, yeah, fireplace. Um, all right, kids, y'all can follow them over there. Thank you. <clears throat> and pray for these kids that they would have a revelation of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Amen. I'm going to eventually get to Hebrews chapter 13. And so I, I want you to turn there, but I want you to pray with me. And I really do want us to pray because we need God's help. We just really need God's help. And Father, we lift up our hearts to you, God, and we pray and we ask that you would minister to us this morning. We pray that you would minister Jesus to us this morning. We love you, Lord, and we love Jesus, God, and we desire so much to know him, to be close to him, to be intimate with him. And we just right now receive the Holy Spirit so that we can be close to you and be aware of you and know you and know your presence, God, spiritually, God, that we could hear your voice spiritually. And Lord, that we could look into the glory of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit and be conformed to that image. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God who is able, the God who saves, the God who transforms our lives. You're the most exciting and wonderful person that we could ever meet. And we love you, God, with all of our heart. And I pray, God, that you bless this word. And I pray that you will change our lives today, that we would, <clears throat> that our posture with you would forever be different, God. In the name of Jesus, I ask this. Amen. So when Cindy asked if she could share what God had put on her heart to share about if you go low with God, you'll go high. I just, you know, immediately thought that's a lot of what my introduction is this morning. And um, and so I just take all of that as confirmation from the Lord. <clears throat> and I thank God for his confirmation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I wanted to present to you today about prayer and about intercession, specifically in regards to intimacy with God. I want to make these two statements to you. Bowing is the revelation of glory, and worship is the revelation of love. And I pray that we would be a people who would know how to bow before God because His glory has been revealed to us, and that we would be able to worship God by the Holy Spirit because we have the revelation of His love for us. You will oftentimes find bowing and worship in the context together. And I want you, I just want that to stand out to you. When you bow before God, where are you? You're at His feet and you're low. Thank you, Cindy. You're low when you bow before God. And when you bow before the Lord, it will cause you to become very intimate with the Lord because He receives those who humble themselves in His presence. God resists those who are proud, but he gives grace to those who are humble. And I would believe that you're here this morning because you would desire the grace of God. And beloved, I want to tell you that I want a church where God is big. I don't want a small God. I don't want to be around a people who worship a small God. I want a big God. I want to worship God big because he is. He's great. He's vast. He's grand. He's transcendent. He's not just above us. There's, there's no measure to him being above us or different than us and unlike us. In order for us to become like Jesus Christ, we need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to do it. Something from outside of us has got to work in our life. I want God to be so big in our presence that men in this room kneel before him. 
I would love for God to be so big in this presence, in this house, that even men that are so full of pride would find themselves on their knees and their faces before God because he is so amazing. I celebrate this God that we are able to come to and worship. I thank God for the revelation of an altar. I thank God that we have an altar in this church. It's not a place where we come to be born again or we come to rededicate our life. It's a place where men and women do business with God. It's a, it's a place where men and women cry out to God. And that can be in the balcony. It could be in the back of the church. But the fact is, you've got a place where you're doing business with God. You're not just watching the service. But you're in tune with God. And God is doing a work in your life. Where there is no altar, there is no throne. There's no correct view of God. People that understand an altar, people that have a revelation of God and his glory and his holiness, where God cannot be ignored. He will not allow you to ignore him. God will not allow you to leave without a response. And sometimes no response at all is a response. A man without an altar is a man without worship. And we all worship something, so we all have an altar. I was just considering the altar of LSU. I was considering... and. Those that are in sin with Alabama, I don't know. I was, <clears throat> we have some of those here. Um, sorry, Josh. Love you, brother. I, I, <laughs> go Tigers. <laughs> but but I, I was just thinking about how much, you know, we here, we love LSU. We love LSU football. We get excited about that. Maybe not every one of you in this room would, you know, just get all out for LSU football, but some of you do. And and some of you will be able to relate this to something else in your life if it's not LSU football. But I just consider what we do for the teams that we love, the teams that we like to celebrate and we like to support. There's nobody that has to give you a, an, a, a handout or a mail out or a bullet point on how to dress to go to an LSU game. You're, you're going to put on your uniform. You're going to put on something that talks about LSU. You're going to put on something that expresses your pride in LSU. And, and you're going to go out there. It doesn't matter what the weather is. It could be 20 degrees. You're going to get blankets and you're going to get a thermos of hot chocolate and you're going to sit on on metal bleachers for three or four hours and watch an LSU game. It doesn't matter if it's raining, you're going to go out to an LSU game. You're going to get one of those paper thin hoodies, ponchos, and you're going to put it over you like it's going to do any good. And you're going to sit out there for four hours in the rain to watch an LSU football game. You're going to tithe and give your offerings for LSU football games. You're going to pay 30 bucks for a Coke and a hot dog at an LSU football game. And you're going to, you're going to complain about a missions offering that that's just too much for the church to ask. You're, you're going to buy season tickets to the LSU football game. You're going to pay millions of dollars to a losing coach. For LSU football. Now, hopefully we have a winning one now. But in the past, we'll pay millions of dollars for a losing football coach and struggle to maybe support a young minister that wants to devote his life to the cause of Jesus Christ. We're going to cheer. Nobody is... They got cheerleaders on the field. You can't even hear them. No, we cheer because we're into the game. We understand what's happening. And when our team does something that's really great, we're going to cheer. And when the referees make a bad call, they're going to 
to know it because we're all going to let them know it. As a matter of fact, if we don't get to the game and we watch it on TV, we're going to yell at the umpire in our living rooms. And you want to tell me you can't worship God? You want to tell me you can't dress for God? You want to tell me you can't tithe? You want to tell me that you don't have enough time? You don't want to tell me, oh, it's Sunday morning and there's a chance of rain. I don't think I want to go to church today. It's a good day to lay in bed. You worship your God. We worship our God. And I want God to be so big. The Lord God, Jehovah, Yahweh, Jesus Christ. I want him to be so big that he captivates us. And nothing hinders us from being in his presence or getting to him. Please excuse me when I use the word big. I don't mean that to demean God and his enormous might and power and essence and person. I just do that for our language, all right? But God is big in heaven. As a matter of fact, he is the biggest in heaven. He is the one most celebrated. He is the one with all of the attention. And angels and men are bowing before God in heaven right now. Shouting and praising and dancing and falling on their faces before God. If we want his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, we better start doing the things they're doing in heaven. Now, everybody won't because God's not their God. But for every one of us where God is our God, then do it. Serve him. Do the things that they're doing in heaven. When you go to LSU, not everybody's a fan. Some people are there because they got a ticket and wanted the experience. And about 15 minutes into it, they're bored as they can be. So you, you might be sitting with other people that are pulling for the other team. You might be in church where people are pulling for the other team. You might, so don't let them stop you praising your God. Don't let them stop you from worshiping your God. Because he's your God. And, and you don't need the support of people around you to sing and dance and shout and give God the glory for the things that he's done in your life. In heaven, they're gathered around the throne of God. They're sitting, they're standing, they're falling, they're worshiping many different postures. Are they in heaven? They're bowing, they're praising, they're drawing near. There's praise, there's shouting, there's crying. This is kingdom culture in heaven. And this is what we must desire on earth. And I want to read a few scriptures with you from the book of Revelation. And and Deborah or or Haley, whoever's helping me with that. We're going to begin with Revelation chapter 4. And I want to put these up on the screen. If you, if you've got those and I want, I want you to see it. I want to make sure that you read this with me because I think it is absolutely important for us to do it. I want to say this to you that I believe if we could bow before God, if we, if you will understand it this way, because one of the words of worship is kiss and, and the, some of the old commentators and theologians would say like a dog would kiss his master's feet. That's a wrong interpretation of it. It would be more like blowing kisses to God. He's he's the one that has your affection. And yes, like a dog licking the feet of his master, he is the one to whom you ascribe all the glory and all of the praise. Are y'all going to be able to get this? There you go. And so I want you to understand that the hope of our civilization is that we as Christians could submit ourselves to the culture of heaven 
regardless of our traditions and our cultures here on earth. Would to God that Baptists and Pentecostals and Methodists and Lutherans and Independents would, would, would banish their traditions and submit to the culture of heaven. I would pray today, I would pray this morning, and that's why I want to take you through this, that you would submit to the culture of heaven. Because our prayer, Jesus told us when you pray, you pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we cannot worship God in some fashion as they do in heaven, then we don't have to wonder to God, why aren't you doing anything? Because God is active and he's doing things. In Revelation 4, I want you to see this. Number one, John is in the spirit. And immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. I believe that to be true. I believe when you're in the spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to magnify Jesus in your life. You're not going to have the revelation John had. But you're going to have a revelation of the glory of Jesus Christ. And in heaven, round about the throne, were 24 seats, and there were 24 elders. They're sitting on those seats. They're clothed in white raiment. They had on their heads crowns of gold. And the 24 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. And cast their crowns before the throne. Saying, so I want you to notice this. They're in the spirit. John's in the spirit. He sees the 24 elders. They're sitting. And then he sees them. And they're not sitting because they've fallen on their face before God on his throne and worship him. And they worship him because he lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne. Saying, and so they say things to God. It's not quiet. It's not a quiet atmosphere. It's not a funeral atmosphere in heaven. Praise God. It's not a religious atmosphere in heaven. And they say to God on the throne, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you have created all things and for your pleasure they are and were created. The next, we'll let this stand out. They fall down before him. They worship him. They say things to him. All right, next slide, if you will. Revelation 5, 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. So prayers are going on. They're falling down before the lamb and they sing. So there's speaking things, they're singing things, they're falling before God, they're sitting before God. And they sung a new song and they're saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. You've made us kings to God and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And they're falling before the lamb and they're singing and they're speaking things to God. The next slide. 
It tells us here in Revelation 5, 12, they say with a loud voice. It's not just something they speak in their heart. They verbalize it. And it's loud. It's not quiet. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard them saying, blessing, so you can hear this, blessing, honor, glory, power to him that sits on the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, amen. And the 24 elders, there they go again, falling down and worshiping him that lives forever and ever. There's a, there's a, re, a repetition here of falling on their faces and worshiping and speaking and singing before God. The next slide. In Revelation 7, it says, And this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, people, tongues. And they stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice. Now there's crying. It's just a, it's a, it's a shouting almost. They cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. Cindy, they're going low, aren't they? They fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. They're crying with loud voices. They're falling on their faces before the throne of God and worshiping. Every time you practically see falling on their faces or falling before the throne, there is worship. There is worship. The next slide. Revelation 7, 15, therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them and they shall know, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. The enjoyment of God's presence. The next slide says this in Revelation 11. And the 24 elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God. Saying, again, falling before God, worshiping God, and speaking to God. We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. I think I have one more. Revelation 19. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, they're speaking. There's a lot of speaking going on in heaven. But it's all to God. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory, honor, power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. He has judged the great whore which did commit Corrupt the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And they said again, hallelujah. 
And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, as the voice of many thunders saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And to her was granted that she would be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen was the righteousness of the saints. I, I, I read that and tried to highlight these things that I wanted to stand out because over and over again, you see scenes in heaven where the 24 elders, along with angels, are falling on their faces before the throne of God. It's not compelled. It's the result of a God who's holy. It's not coerced. It's not forced. It is the awareness of a lamb who gave his life to redeem me. The lamb who created all things shed his blood to redeem me from Western civilization, from the United States, so that I could be in heaven one day. He came to Jerusalem and died to save a man in Louisiana. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. When was the last time you fell on your face and worshipped? And what's your excuse? God's not very big, is he? He doesn't have many friends. He never really has. But he sure wants us. It's a sobering moment right here. But I mean it to be. When was the last time, sir, you got on your knees before God because he's greater than you? When was the last time you got on your face because he saved you? When was the last time the glory and the majesty of the living God caused me to cry and say things to him and shout to him or speak with a loud voice that he is worthy of honor and glory and power and might and dominion. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and there's no God like my God. It was the last time. And so I say to us again, if we want the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We've got to start doing the things that they're doing in heaven. We have got to be so aware of this God that we bow before him. Because there is a relationship between bowing before God and worshiping God. And Romans chapter 1 says that the collapse of a culture is because we stop worshiping God. 
And it's not that we go to church and it's not even that we sing songs. There's not the awareness of this great God who is in our midst that causes rapture in my heart to sing and shout and worship him. And an awareness of a holy God who is so beyond me that all I can do is fall before him. And when you go low with God, you will go high. Praise God. Don't tell me God's not speaking to us this morning. Is this what we want? Will we bow and kiss the king? Because when you bow before God, where are you? You're at his feet. Will you kiss the king? Will you kiss the feet? And I believe if we would start bowing to God, we would stop bowing to fear. We would stop bowing to trauma. We would stop bowing to drugs. We would stop bowing to sicknesses. We would stop bowing to excuses because we have been delivered and we live in the victory of this God who has overcome. We know scripture, but we don't know client. We don't, we don't know God. So I want to talk to you for a moment about body language. All right. Body language. God's not fooled by lip service. He never has been. You draw near to me with your mouths, but your hearts are far from me. It is said that 55% of all communication is body language. That's why I don't like texting. Especially about serious matters. Please don't text me. Let's talk. Can I talk to you on the phones? The next best thing to be in there is not the best. Let's meet face to face. I want to see your body language. I want to look into your eyes and see your soul. I want to be able to see what your face is saying. When my kids were growing up, I wanted to know how they were. Sit in front of me. I want to look at you. How are you doing? And their face would talk to me. Their demeanor would talk to me. Their body language would talk to me, right? You know what I'm talking about. You know, you're with your wife or you're with your husband and you say, how you doing? Fine. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm doing fine. Everything. No, something's wrong. Something's not right. This is body. God's not fooled by it. He made your body. He did not make you a disembodied spirit. He didn't make you this little mouth so that goes around. He, 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 he gave you, he clothed you with a body. You've got a soul and you've got a spirit because God wants every part of your being to enter into worship with him, to be intimate with him, to praise him, to have body language in it. That's why the Bible says over and over and over and over again, lift your hands, dance before the Lord, kneel before God, sit before God, stand before God, shout. Do you know that your body is an instrument? You have percussion. I can't play mine real well. But but you have a percussion instrument in many forms. You 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 can sing melodies, you can sing harmonies, you, you can fluctuate things, you have tone, you have volume. God has made us instrumental with our bodies. Your spirits don't do that. Your soul does not do that. Your body is the expression or the visible manifestation of what's really in your heart. Someone said that praise is speaking in body language. My whole body is into it. You have stringed instruments in you. Your ability to make a melody before God. But why are we so slow to believe this? 
Even a demon-possessed man who lived in the graveyard. When Jesus got out of the boat, ran to him and fell at his feet. A demon-possessed man. And I'm just asking you to put your tradition away and let the Holy Spirit give you the freedom to love God through your body that will most perfectly express your heart. Because body language is extremely important. And, and I say this to us Don't allow trained leaders who are dry, who are passionless, who have no fire, who can't even kiss their sons, tell you how to worship God. Men who cannot hug or embrace or express warmth, don't let them teach you about worship. Let the Holy Spirit teach you. Let God teach you. Let the word of God teach you. The song of Solomon is not a mistake. It's a story of intimacy and passion and pursuit. That God has for you. And that he wants you to have for him. Don't let American men teach us how to worship God. Don't let anybody. Don't let me. Let the word of God. But if I brought to you the word of God. Don't make an excuse. The Bible says in heaven they're falling before the throne and they're crying and they're sitting and they're standing and they're singing. Then do it. Do it. And if you don't do it, pray to God that you'd get a revelation of Jesus. That would affect your life. Because I'm going to tell you this, God's not stoic. God is the most passionate person you will ever meet in your life. When God starts getting you and loving on you, I'm telling you, is the most incredible love you'll ever experience in your life. Absolutely passionate. God is. And he declares it in his word. He speaks of it. He speaks of himself. And I want you to read this with me in Hebrews chapter 13. Because I want you to see God's body language of love, if you will. Because he didn't just say it, but his body demonstrated it. Oh, I want you to love God. Because he does love you. I want our young people to love God. Well, I want you all to, too. Come on, kids, say amen. I want us all to. In Hebrews 13, verse 10, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts <clears throat> whose blood is brought into the sanctuary, <clears throat> excuse me, by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. They are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate 
Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city. We seek one to come. So by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And do good. Communicate. Don't forget to do that. God is pleased with these sacrifices. The body language of God. I think this is beautiful of the Lord. He's the running God. When his son took his fortune and went and spent it on prostitutes. And God knows whatever else. And his son that he thought was dead. He suddenly starts seeing coming over the the distant countryside. And he's the God who pulled up his robe, girded it into his belt, and ran with all of his might to his son. Don't tell me God's not passionate. He's the God who cannot, for the fear of embarrassment or misunderstanding, Say to Nathaniel, don't let anybody know, but you see that guy up in that tree? Ask him if we can go to his house tonight. But no, he's the God who walks up to that tree and says, hey, Zacchaeus, coming to your house tonight. He's the one who takes a woman caught in adultery where people want her stoned to death somehow removes all of her enemies and her accusers. Defends her, loves her, forgives her and sends her home. He's the God who stops funerals to express his love. And his compassion and his care for people. And he's the God. Listen to me. He's the God. Who wants to give his life. In this fashion. Not. In an ICU room. In a hospital. Where very few people can be there. As he dies. Not in a sacred temple. Where only holy people can go. But I want to go outside this city. I want to leave the camp. Of Pharisees. And Sadducees. And scribes. And lawyers. So the prostitutes will know they can come. And the sick will know that they can come. And the Gentiles will know that they can come. And the Jews will know that they can come. And I want you to publicly take the clothes off of me. Show everything. And beat me. Beat me. Till I'm shredded. And nail me to a cross. 
and hang me in front of the world so everybody walking by can see me. Because in this body language, I am demonstrating my love for you. I bow to that God. I bow to that God. I worship that God. But not like I should. I need a better revelation of him. By his word and by his spirit. I need a better revelation of him. Now he's passionate. And he loves you. And he cares for you. So let us. Let us. This is where it follows up in Hebrews 13. Let us go out unto him. Leave the camp. What camp? Whatever camp is keeping you from him. Whatever camp keeps you from bowing. Whatever camp keeps you from crying. Whatever camp keeps you from worshiping. Whatever camp tells you it's okay. To worship God however you want to. When the only way we should worship God is how he says and how his spirit leads us. Not to be like me or for me to be like you, but what God says and what God wants from my life. Nobody judges somebody else's worship. But we go outside the camp and we go to him. Maybe it's the camp of Baptist. Maybe it's the camp of Pentecostals. Maybe it's the camp of tradition. Maybe it's the camp of religion. But as Jesus went outside the gate, I'm going outside the camp as well. To be joined to him. And the way I'm going to do this. Now get this. Listen to me. Because I believe the Lord just gave me a revelation of this a couple of days ago. Because I want a better revelation of Jesus. You do this bearing his reproach. And I thought to myself. So that's it? I give everything for you. I give my whole life for you. I follow you. I mean, you were raised from the dead the third day. You've ascended into heaven. All of the heavens and all of the earth and all of the kingdoms are yours. And I get reproach. And the Holy Spirit said to me, no, son. Whoever gets the reproach gets him all. When you take his reproach. You're taking his glory, his passion, his love, his ability. Everything becomes yours. And that's what he shared with me. It is when the most difficult thing about Jesus becomes the thing you love the most. That's what happened to Moses. He considered the reproach of Christ to be of more value. Than all of the wealth of Egypt. And if he took the reproach of Christ. He gets the kingdom of Christ. He gets it all. Let me illustrate this to you if I can. Are you with me? Please be with me. So Jesus was invited by a Pharisee. To come eat at his house. And Jesus accepted the invitation and he went to the man's house and everything was prepared and there was a lot of Pharisees there and men with dignity that were there, no women. 
Jesus comes in and he takes his place. And the Bible says that a woman of sin came into the room. She wasn't invited. She wasn't welcomed. She came to the room. The Bible says if Jesus were sitting here, she came to the room and she came behind him. She just wanted to be near him. And then the next scene, we find that the woman is on her knees at his feet, kissing them over and over and over again and crying on them and taking some ointment, very expensive, and pouring it over his feet and taking her hair and just washing his feet. Jesus looks around. He sees all these Pharisees there. And he says, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking, Simon. How can I be a prophet if I don't know what kind of woman this is that's touching me? So Simon, when I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss of greeting. And you did not anoint my head. Jesus spoke about feet, face, and head. But it's interesting what he says to Simon, this woman. And it's all about the feet. This woman, since the moment she entered, has washed my feet with her tears. She's anointed my feet with oil. And she has not stopped kissing my feet. And her sins, oh, so many, are forgiven. Listen, for she has loved me greatly. Here it is. Outside of Jesus' Father, that is the only record in the New Testament where Jesus received love from anybody. The only love he confessed. That was poured out on him. And not even the night when he was about to be betrayed. And he washed their feet. Not even John. Not even John got up to wash Jesus' feet. He sat at the table. With 30 feet. And everybody else was clean. Because Jesus loved them to the very end. And you know the Pharisees were indignant. At the waste. And the extravagance of this woman. And that's the way some people will treat you. When you want to love him. Not like the Baptists love him. Not like the Methodists love him. Not like the Pentecostals love him. Not like the Charismatics love him. 
But when you want to love him, like the Holy Spirit wants to love him. And you want to pour your love out on him and people say, you're just being a showy person. Yeah. It's my body language. I want you to see something in me that tells you I love him. He's too big to not fall before. He's too incredible to not to be intimate with. What waste. What extravagance. So what one, what young person will give him this? You'll lose your friends. Better believe it. But you'll gain Jesus. What's the most difficult thing about Jesus? And when that most difficult thing about Jesus becomes something that you love, you get him all. Nothing will ever separate you. I've sat with people in marriage counseling before they get married. I said, is there anything in this guy's life that has to change for you to stay with him forever? Well, I hope to change this. Don't get married. You have to be able to say to me, just like he is, without ever changing, I want to be with him till I die. Don't come tell me I'm going to marry him and I hope to change him in 10 years so he's doing this and that. No. you got to take the reproach of the guy too. The reproach of the woman. The most difficult thing about him. You've got to love that. And there are some difficult things about Jesus down here. Not from him, but the way you'll be treated for loving him. The way you'll be treated for following him. I say, I take the reproach. I saw him. I love him. I want to be intimate with him. I want to be closer to him. And I want to show the world my love for him. But more than anything else, I want to show him my love for him. So would you stand with me? And I just ask you to consider your life and consider your heart and consider this God who loves you powerfully, loves you intimately, loves you with all of his might. I would pray this morning that there would be those of us here who would just in the way of worship, would let Jesus know that we're loving on him. You know why Jesus meets you in prayer? It's not because he loves prayer. Because he loves you. That's why he's meeting you here this morning. He loves you. It's the most freeing thing. It's the most wonderful thing. It's the most lifting and joyful moment of your life. To leave the camp. And bear the reproach. And be joined to Jesus Christ. And then from that point forward, live a life of praise. The sacrifices of praise. Showing forth the glory of God. Hallelujah. Father, we just desire that we would be led by the Holy Spirit. Into intimacy with you. Into your inner chamber 
into your courts where you can speak to us, God, and we can speak with you. We can pour our hearts out to you. We can bow before you and reverence you and exalt you and delight in you. You are great and mighty. You are holy. It is so amazing, God, that you have loved us with an everlasting love. And yes, you do love us. You do love me. And I thank you, Father, that the thing that you want most from me is my heart. You delight in my faith. We bow before you this morning because you are high and you are holy and you are exalted. You are mighty and you are glorious and all honor and praise and power and might and dominion is yours. And we declare that the Lamb of God is worthy for he was slain. And with his blood, he has redeemed us back to God from every tribe and tongue and nation and people. You did not leave the United States out. You did not leave people in Louisiana out. People in Louisiana on earth as it is in heaven bow to you today to give you glory. We say things to you that show your worth and your value from our hearts. And I pray, Father, that you would move upon our young people with passion and love, with power and with might, with devotion, with devotion. That, Lord, the most difficult thing about you here would enthrall them, would captivate them. They'd be lovers of Jesus. Lovers of Jesus.